So there's five covenants, meaning for the next five weeks, we'll be looking at the story with Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and then the new covenant through Jeremiah, the one that is uh, different than all of the others. And that gets us to Palm Sunday and then Holy Week and, and Easter, so I hope that you'll be very intentional about making this journey. Uh, we're not focusing in, in our main worship services on fasting and prayer and, and almsgiving. We're doing those as some of our disciplines, but I think it's important um, to read these lectionary texts from the Old Testament to see the story that Jesus inherited. Because I think the whole biblical narrative, as it progresses and, and as God evolves and as we evolve in relationship with God, I think it, it focuses on something very important that I mentioned uh, last Wednesday from Paul's words, be reconciled to one another. Reconciliation is at the heart of who God is. Jesus said it this way, uh, all the 613 laws of Torah can be boiled down basically to two, love God and love people. And that requires reconciliation. So all of the covenants are about reconciliation. They're going to show us a development, an evolution, a revelation about God and about people, about ourselves, and about how we are to relate to God as, as human beings. God's going to do some unexpected things. At times, God will change his mind at times, God will surprise us with something so different from what we expect or from what we deserve. I want you to sit with that thought during Lent as well. This word covenant, you might have heard this in the Wednesday night conversations this past week, the word covenant has roots in the same word as cut uh, like you cut something and blood is drawn forth, that sacrifice is, is required, that there must be a, a status change because when, when you draw blood from something or when something is sacrificed, there's no going back. There's no going back. That's how covenant works. It's always about what's ahead, not what's behind. And it works differently from a contract. I, we don't use the word covenant a lot anymore, maybe in terms of like neighborhood covenants or something. Uh, actually, my family and I are not in a covenantal relationship with Verizon. We're in a contractual relationship with Verizon. As long as we pay, we get cell coverage. If we stop paying, we resort to primitive things like landlines and soup cans on a string or something. I don't know how that works. It's contractual and there's a buyout. There's always an escape clause with a contract. I can pay them X number of dollars and switch carriers, and Verizon won't bat an eye. They don't really care because it's not relational. But with covenants, there's no going back. There's always forward. It's initiated by God. It's, it comes through a person who willingly or unwillingly says, hold up, not me, not now. Pick somebody else. And then the people, they agree to it, but inevitably, inevitably, things fall apart. So we're looking at the covenant and the relationship with God, and the first one is with Noah. It comes from Genesis chapter 9. I invite you to listen for the word of the Lord. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, 
As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I established my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I'll remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all of life. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature that is on earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Maybe you first heard this story here in a children's minute or in Sunday school. My first recollection comes from two places, really. One was Vacation Bible School. The other was one of those blue books that sat in the doctor's office, the waiting rooms, you know, and, and it had a wonderful image of, of all of the animals on it and then a few with mustaches because kids ahead of me had drawn in that same book before I had a chance to draw in that book in the doctor's office. And what we learned from those initial stories, Vacation Bible School and a Children's Minute, is that God made a promise. God keeps that promise and will never destroy the earth by flood again. But, but have you ever wondered, have you ever scratched the surface of Scripture to say, wait a minute, why did God decide to destroy the, to destroy the earth in the first place? This very first covenant is troubling. It's troubling for that reason. Because if you look at the verses just prior to what I read, God says something that really is arresting. God says, I regret making all people. And I think I'm just going to start over from scratch. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. And then right after that, God shows a little bit of remorse after the flood. I'm so sorry that I sent the flood. So we have a God who says, I'm sorry I created people, and then the flood happens, and then God says, I, I'm sorry, and, and, and almost seems to repent, actually. What does that say about God? What does that say about people? What does it say about the relationship between God and people? Because for the first time, God reveals something new about who God is. And what we see is that God was completely and totally heartbroken by the actions of the people that he created and loved so dearly. I'll come back to that in just a second. One framework I want to give you to read your Bible and to read these covenants over the next uh, five weeks is to think about uh, this, this rise and fall of creation, right? And then decreation or uncreation and then recreation. And time and again, if you read scripture that way, that something is created, something is destroyed or causes life to be destroyed, and then God comes along and, and recreates life again. That's a great way to think about it. 
We're taking on disciplines during this season of Lent for that same reason. God has created us for a purpose and with talents and with gifts and to make a difference in the lives of others, but we get in our own way and we get in God's way. So there's some decreating that needs, to, we need to shed whatever it is that's preventing us so that God can recreate us or resurrect us into something new, right? Involved in that process is a sequence of boundaries. So often a boundary is set by God and, and people cross that boundary. Creation in the garden is established, but we just have to know what happens when we eat that fruit, right? So we cross that boundary. A few chapters later, Cain is, is supposed to be accountable to his brother. The boundary is, is brotherhood, but Cain crosses that boundary and, and kills Abel. There's a decreation of life. And then God somehow raises life up and marks Cain and said, you will be spared too. You will be spared. There's a strange story. You should read it tonight. It happens just before the flood account uh, in chapter 6 where these giants called the Nephilim, they come from somewhere up there and consummate relationships with human beings down here, and they cross a boundary. And from that moment on, God has just about had enough and said, I cannot take this anymore. I regret, I regret creating things. I think I'll destroy all of life. But does God really destroy all life? All life? Or does he find someone through whom he can work? A family? He spares some animals. He spares some, some of creation. And God does something very strange. God, in this story, God seems to, to take on a new role. More than just creator, God all of a sudden becomes, reveals that God is a protector and a preserver. Now, that, uh, that doesn't sound all that striking to us in the 21st century. You know, we prefer to think about God as one who walks with us and talks with us and tells us we are his own in, in the garden, or to see an image of, of God through Jesus welcoming children onto his, his lap. But, but the ancients didn't see God that way. The writers of Scripture in, in this day and age, they didn't see God that way. It was all about God's omnipotence and God's justice. And if God created it, that must mean that God will lord over it and judge it. And if it's not right in God's eyes, it can be destroyed but it all seems to change right here. That the script is, is kind of flipped in a way. Because God appears to show restraint from what the people actually deserve. God appears to show remorse for the wickedness of people. God appears to have a broken heart because every single human being has turned his or her back on God. If you want to get really technical about it, the image that you can take with you today as it relates to all of this is one where God says the sign, the outward sign of this covenant is going to be a rainbow in the cloud, right? Throughout the, the reading, we've been calling it a bow, and, and that's different, a rainbow and a bow. What's, what's the difference, Jay? Your Bible doesn't read like my Bible. Well, the early writers in the ancient Near East and the early peoples, they viewed God much differently. They thought every time a lightning bolt came down to earth that it was God taking an arrow out and shooting down the wickedness of people. 
in a punitive way or to get people's attention. And so when God says, you know what? I said I was going to destroy all things. I'm going to show mercy and grace. I'm not. And as a sign of this covenant, I'm going to stick my bow and arrows in the cloud. In other words, the first covenant is a ceasefire from anger and from violence and from punishment and from God's wrath. And so I want to ask you, how do you see God in this world, in your life? As one who's just waiting on us to mess up so those lightning bolts can come down? Or as as one who actually in this very first covenant on which we stand put a bow in the clouds and said no more, no more violence. And if God is willing to hang that bow of what we deserve and that bow of, of judgment in the clouds, what does it say that we get to see God in a new way and God is now someone who is fully invested in the lives and in the relationships of people. That's so different in the ancient world. It may not sound all that fantastic to you. But that the God who created all things, who numbered the stars, also knows you by name. Also, the reason we we called out Oliver and Ellie's name is because God knows them by name. And intricately, delicately, lovingly, like a parent says, I don't care how flooded your life becomes with chaos. I don't care how violent this this world comes, how rocky the paths come. He says the same thing to us that he just said in baptism to Oliver and Ellie. I'm not going anywhere. And here's the thing about God that, that kind of changes in our minds. Not that God changes, but that God is revealed in a new way that God almost self-limits and becomes vulnerable. Because if that's what it takes to reconcile people to God and to one another, God is willing to do it. Now, I don't know about you, but I need that image. Because if I'm going to claim to serve a God who is angry all the time and punitive all the time and punishing me all the time and sending cancer and car wrecks and hurricanes and tornadoes and pandemics then I'm going to run around scared my whole life. I'm not going to know a lot about grace. And as it pertains to what people deserve, if if God has always given me what I deserve, then why wouldn't I give other people what they deserve? Why would I not self-limit and show my own vulnerability and extend a little bit of grace and mercy if that's my image of God? You know, I tell something very similar to to couples in premarital counseling and in postmarital counseling sessions, we walk through every single one of these covenants. And we talk about covenant making and covenant breaking and boundaries and, and expectations. And what, what I try to, to say in, in all of those sessions is something I think that's very important, that unless we're willing to, to read this covenant in particular, unless we're willing to walk into a covenantal relationship like marriage and hang up some bows and to put some arrows back in the quiver, then we're not going to go very far. Because if we're going to pull out the arrows of the past and sling them at one another, what does that do? It does harm. The same is is true for for parenting, right? The world before before children was a lot different than the world after children. Amen? Right. We, We do so many things as soon as we hold that child or hear that first whimper. The first sights and the first sounds are so emotional, mostly because we know we'll not see the floor of our house for 18 years or so, right? After that, because toys and clothes and all that kind of stuff, right? 
I think this covenant with Noah gives us kind of the same image that God wants to be in this covenantal relationship, this parent-child relationship, because when, when God first saw us and first heard our cries, God fell so head over heels in us, for us. And God said, I'm not going to destroy you. I'm not going to give you what the world says you deserve or what you think you deserve. I'm going to give you grace. I'm, I'm going to give you redemption. I'm going to help you find reconciliation to, to other people. And you see this languishing in God's life. What we try to do, friends, is, is quite um, unfortunate, but we do it every day. We try to revert back to that chaos and nothingness. We try to go back to uh, the time before Genesis 1, before God created anything, because at Genesis 1, God took chaos and nothingness and, and formed it into order, into life, and into relationship. And we are always trying to go back to that moment. Year after year, day after day, it happens. We're just trying to go back to chaos and nothingness. I, I saw this happen yesterday. I, was, I had just walked up to a, a checkout line, and I heard uh, something that didn't sound like normal you know, background music in a store, and that's because the clerk was shouting at a customer through one of those you know, plexiglass things. They couldn't hear each other because they, they were shouting at each other. And the reason was the clerk had on a mask the customer did not and refused to put one on. They were both kind of shaming one another about wearing a mask, about not wearing a mask. And I thought, my Lord, we're just decreating and flooding this whole scene with anger. And my feet began to get a little bit squishy and I felt some water on my ankles as, as the flood began to form once again. Because there was nothing transformational or relational happening right here. It was just all transactional. And, I, and finally I was like, just, y'all just check out and move on because it's not happening. But the young lady said, sir, I suppose it's, it's your right to not wear a mask or to wear a mask, but I want to tell you my story. I want to tell you how I spent day after day after day after day on the ventilator and I'm very lucky to be alive. And I missed so much work that now I'm trying to work overtime and to catch up. And all I can do is, is just ask you to think about somebody else. She tried. She tried transformational talks, but alas, the floods, the floods came. We resort to nothingness when we rob someone of their worth through shaming and bullying or holding the past over them, it's just like, when can we put away those arrows back in their quiver and hang up those bows and stop treating each other so poorly? That's what Noah's covenant tells us. We don't have to click very far on any of our favorite news apps to see the corruption of violence and abuse and addictions and how those floodwaters, they're always there. And we always have this penchant for returning to chaos. But today, as we move closer to closer to Holy Week, and to the Last Supper, to the cross, and to the empty tomb, what we get thousands of years prior to that is a God who says, okay, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to give you grace. And so I just wonder, at the outset of Lent, 
As we think about that image, we're going to hear it the next few weeks. What does it mean to you that God is all bound up in your hopes and your fears, in your struggles and in your victories, in your grief and, and in your joy? That God would, would kind of self-limit and become vulnerable for our sake. And it all culminates in Jesus Christ. And according to Paul, in his letter to the church at Philippi, long before the Gospels were written, Paul says this about Jesus. Tell me if it sounds familiar. That Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used. Rather, he made himself nothing. And he took on the form of a savior, being made in, in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And because he humbled himself, because there was a decreation in that moment of God's good and perfect and whole and blameless creation, God highly exalted him. That at the name of Jesus, every living creature, Paul says, and every human would one day bow down. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Friends, you see, the way of Jesus is to lay down all of the weapons that we use against one another to destroy one another. We lay them down long enough to have a meal together. Who knew we would get all that from a big old ark and a bunch of animals and Noah and his family? promises of God on which we stand culminate in Jesus Christ who took the form of a servant and said, I'll become one of you. But what that means is I want you to wash other people's feet. So what I'm thinking here, friends, is that every household here and every household listening, maybe a discipline we have is to hang that bow up in the clouds, put away those, those arrows long enough to, to have a meal together or to pray for one another. 